Good morning and welcome to Dunwoody United Methodist Church. My name is Matt Stone and I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to worship. We are continuing a series that we began several weeks ago called Facing What Matters. As we follow Jesus on the journey from Galilee up in northern Israel down to Jerusalem and towards the the Passion Week and the Easter story, uh, we've been tracking Jesus's movements all along. And and, and this week we're going to look at one of the stories that, well actually a couple of the stories that Jesus tells while he's on that journey from northern Israel to southern Israel. And this is one of those stories that that is absolutely incredible for me. You know, there are stories all over Scripture that capture my heart. Uh, There's the the story of Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter 9. There's the story of Ruth in uh, in the book of Ruth. There's the story of Jesus going to the other side early in Mark's gospel. But the stories that Jesus tells, the parables that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15 absolutely capture my heart and arrest my attention. And they do so for a few reasons. One, the vision of the gospel, right? The, the thing that we, uh, that we, the story that we are a part of, the vision of the gospel that is revealed in Luke 15, I think is absolutely unparalleled. It also uh, functions as an incredible correction for so much of where the church has gotten our own story wrong. And this story represents just the, one of the most beautiful invitations for us to enter into the story of Scripture. It's an invitation to find ourselves within the parables that Jesus tells and to learn from that reflection. So I can't wait to get started. Luke chapter 15 begins with this kind of setup. It says that all of the tax collectors and sinners were drawn to Jesus. And that's just an interesting phenomenon, isn't it? Remember that the tax collectors and sinners, if those aren't categories necessarily that are uh, familiar for you, think of it this way. These are the absolute losers. That's who they are. These are the degenerates. These are the folks that nobody wants to be a part of. These are the people that the religious elite of the day would have kept at arm's length because we don't associate with people from that side of, from that side of the tracks. We don't associate with people who talk like they do. We don't associate with people who do things like they do. And yet somehow, while the religious elite holds the tax collectors and sinners at arm's length, somehow those people are drawn into Jesus. So so that means that not only is Jesus not holding them at arm's length, there is something uh, that's inherently invitational about Jesus's ministry. There's something about the way that Jesus carries himself that pulls people toward him, not repels them away from him. Those are the people who are drawn in. And, And as the task collectors and sinners are drawn in to hear Jesus, uh, we hear that the, the Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling. And I love this word grumbling. It's very visceral, isn't it? They're grumbling and they say, this fellow, I love the way the NRSV says it. It's, it almost, you almost need to say it with an English accent. This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Just to be clear, the Pharisees and the scribes, they are angry that Jesus is welcoming these tax collectors and sinners, these people who we want to keep at arm's length, Jesus is welcoming them, and that makes the, the Pharisees angry, and he's eating with them. And remember that sharing a meal in this culture was akin to sharing uh, worship service. Jesus is welcoming them into fellowship and even sharing a table with them. And you can almost hear the, uh, the sigh from Jesus. 
As he listens to these Pharisees grumble, you can almost hear the sigh from Jesus that says, okay, he doesn't say this, but you can almost hear him say, okay, you're never going to understand what I'm doing until you understand my father's heart. It doesn't say that in Luke 15, but I think that's what's running through Jesus's mind. You're never going to understand why I'm drawing in sinners and tax collectors and welcoming them and eating with them until you understand God's own heart. And so Luke tells us that Jesus tells a parable. And what we hear for the rest of Luke 15 isn't one parable, it's actually three. We're going to look at the first two. The third parable in this series, and they all go together, the third parable is one that most of us are pretty familiar with. It's it's the parable of the prodigal son. And that's the climax of this uh, teaching that Jesus offers. But because of the prodigal carries so much weight for us, we're so familiar with it, and it's such an incredible parable. Because of that, though, we tend to skip over the first two parables that Jesus tells. The parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. And so, as I say from time to time, we want to slow down. In our rush to get to the prodigal, we miss the beauty of the first two parables that Jesus offers as insight into God's heart, as insight into Jesus's ministry that has this attractional nature that draws in even folks from the wrong side of the tracks. So the first parable that he tells uh, begins like this. He says, uh, which one of you having a hundred sheep, losing one of them, doesn't leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that's lost until he finds it. It's a great example out of everyday life. Maybe not our everyday life, but a great example out of their everyday life. Communities would often band together uh, and pool their sheep into uh, one flock and then care for them collectively. Uh, And from time to time, a sheep would wander off. And part of the beauty of of this parable is we don't know why the sheep wanders off. Right? We don't know if it was intentional or unintentional. Perhaps the sheep got bored. Perhaps the, the sheep accidentally wandered off. Perhaps the sheep got tired of being within the bounds of that, uh, of that shepherd's care. Perhaps the sheep got tired of the shepherd leading him to green pastures and still waters. We don't know why the sheep wandered off. And what I love is I don't know that Jesus cares. Jesus doesn't seem to care why the sheep wandered off, nor does the shepherd in the story. And so Jesus tells us that this shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one that's lost, right? And sometimes we get worried about the 99. Well, yes, but don't they matter as well? Uh, But remember that, that Jesus's action, that the shepherd's action in going after the one sheep that's lost demonstrates the value to each of the 99 that if one of them someday wanders off, the shepherd will come for them as well. So the shepherd goes into the wilderness, and and it's easy for us to forget. The shepherd doesn't go after the one sheep that's lost as though he's on a leisurely stroll through the rolling green hills of Scotland. This is a story that takes place in the Judean wilderness. It's a dangerous place. The Judean wilderness is a place that lacks everything necessary for survival. That's the environment into which the shepherd is willing to go. He doesn't count the cost of going into this place before he goes in. He he just, he just goes after the sheep. 
In spite of the terrain that's begging you to break an ankle, in spite of the weather that is uh, uh, incredibly, that can be incredibly harsh, in spite of the natural predators that live there, in spite of the fact that bandits live in the Judean wilderness, the shepherd doesn't care what danger he puts his own life in. The shepherd's singular concern is the return of that lost sheep. Let us hear the work of God in Christ as the work of the shepherd. The shepherd doesn't care about the cost to his own life. His singular care is the return of that lost sheep. And he says that he searches until he finds it. And I love this too, because something that, now, that I didn't know about sheep is uh, it, apparently one of the things that happens when a sheep wanders off, when a sheep wanders off, it doesn't have the capacity to come home. It doesn't have the capacity to work itself out of lostness. Perhaps the shepherd knows this, by the way, and that's why the shepherd goes after the sheep. The sheep can't work itself out of lostness and back home. And what we hear is that lost sheep will often simply lay down and wait to die. There's a sense in which they understand their lostness and they understand the hopelessness of it and they lay down and wait to die. Friends, I don't know. I don't know where you're seeing yourself in this story yet, but what I'm willing to bet is that there are a couple of us listening who know what that's like. There are a couple of us who have wandered off. Maybe it was accidental, maybe it was intentional. Whatever the reason, we have wandered off, and there's a sense in which we have lost hope that anybody would come looking for us and that there is any way for us to get home. Hear what happens when the shepherd finds the sheep. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. Isn't that the opposite of what we expect? I think we've been so conditioned by Christians behaving badly to expect that when the sheep, when the shepherd finds this lost sheep, that shepherd's going to berate the sheep. Isn't this what we expect God to do to us when we find ourselves far from God? We expect, the, we, we expect God to be angry at us, to yell at us. We expect the, the shepherd to uh, maybe kick the sheep while it's down. We expect the shepherd to be frustrated and bitter towards that lost sheep. Gosh, you've wasted all of my time, and this was really hard for me to come find you. This is what we expect out of God from time to time. But it is the opposite of what happens in the story that Jesus crafts for us. What we find instead is that the shepherd not only is joyful at finding the sheep, he doesn't berate the sheep, he's, he's glad to find, he's, he's, he finds joy when he finds the sheep, but then he picks the sheep up and puts it on his shoulders. The sheep is the one who wandered off, but the shepherd's the one who pays the price to carry the sheep home. That, friends, is the gospel story that Jesus is living out. That he is the one who comes for us in the wilderness in spite of the cost. And when he finds us, finds delight at putting us on his shoulders and carrying us home. And that's not even where the celebration ends. It says that when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. And then Jesus interprets the parable for us. He says, just so, right, in the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous person 
persons who need no repentance. That last part, I'm pretty sure is in quotes. The 99 righteous, you Pharisees who don't need repentance is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that there is joy, not anger, when the sinner and the tax collector come home. There is celebration, not frustration, when the sinner and the tax collector are carried home. But that's not even where the story ends. There's, there's something about repentance in here. We're going to get hold that question in your mind for a moment. There's something about what repentance is, and there's a difference between the way the Pharisees understand repentance and the way Jesus understands repentance. Hold on to that uh, for just a minute, because I want you to hear this next parable. It's a fascinating parable, another great story out of everyday life. This is in verse 8 of chapter 15 of Luke's Gospel. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, doesn't light a lamp, Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. A great example out of everyday life in Galilean Israel, right? The houses there were constructed out of a dark basalt stone, uh, and they usually only had uh, one or two small windows that were high up. And so if you lost something in this dark place, naturally you would bring light into that darkness. And remember that, that this woman has lost, think of it this way, she's lost 10% of her net liquid assets Right? Just because it fell out of her pocket, imagine if that happened to you. That if 10% of all the cash that you have at your disposal, all your investments, if 10% was instantly lost because it just fell out of your pocket. So what does she do? Does she curse that coin? Does she yell at the coin? Does she say, you're not worth looking for? Does she abandon the coin? No. She lights a lamp. She brings light into that darkness. And she begins sweeping. Remember, this is a, a, a compacted dirt floor. She leaves no stone unturned, no crack unexplored. There's no cushion in her house that goes unturned as she searches for this lost coin. It is meticulous. It is methodical. It's careful. It is determined. This woman, who, by the way, fascinating, isn't it, that Jesus chooses a woman as an image for God. That's not accidental. Fascinating that this woman searches so methodically. We get this picture of the shepherd who wanders the vast wilderness looking everywhere for the coin, but this is a a different kind of search. And we get the sense that, that there is no distance that we can travel from God and there is no no place that we can hide. There's no crack or crevice into which we can wedge ourselves to hide from the searching shepherd and the searching woman. And what does she do when she finds it? What does this woman do? When she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I've found the coin that I had lost. In both parables, there is a communal celebration. There is a sense in which Jesus says to the Pharisees, Shouldn't we all celebrate when folks who have wandered away, when folks who have hidden themselves away, shouldn't we celebrate together? Why are you grumbling, Pharisees, when we should be celebrating together that this lost one has been found? Just so, he again interprets the parable for us, just so I tell you there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. As Jesus interprets these first two parables in Luke 15, it's clear that there's an image of repentance that's being offered. And the Pharisees understand repentance like this. 
They say that, that forgiveness, right? If forgiveness is the outcome of repentance, repentance turns us away, um, repentance turns us back towards God. If we've been traveling away from God and back towards God, the outcome of repentance is forgiveness for the Pharisees and their vision of repentance. There is no forgiveness without the repayment of the debt, right? When you sin against somebody, you have to pay them back for the offense that you have caused them. And it's not until that debt has been paid in the Pharisees' vision that forgiveness can be granted. Not even God will grant it until the debt has been paid. That doesn't seem to be the vision that Jesus is operating on. What does repentance look like for the lost sheep? What does repentance look like for the lost coin? They don't repay anything to the shepherd. They don't repay anything to the woman. Repentance for them is simply the act of being found. See, we have this transactional vision of Christianity. So many of us who have been around the church for so long, we believe that, and we wouldn't say it like this, but we act like this, that the gospel works like this. I have to earn God's love. I have to perform in order to be forgiven. And when I don't perform, I am loved less. Right? When I don't repay the debt first, God is less willing to offer us forgiveness. That's a transactional vision of Christianity. But the story that Jesus shares, not just in Luke 15, but throughout the Gospels, is anything but transactional. That's, that's what grace is. The, the vision of Christianity that Jesus offers, the vision of faith, the vision of a relationship with God that Jesus invites us into isn't one where we have to pay to get in. It's not a pay-to-play scheme. It's one where, where God has already paid the debt for us, where the shepherd has already paid the price of going into the wilderness to find us, where the woman has already sacrificed her time and energy to search until she finds us. That, friends, is the gospel story in two short parables. I love these parables because it's so easy to find ourselves in them. I don't know which one of these characters you might be. I, I can almost guarantee that some of us are the lost sheep or the lost coin. Some of us have accidentally wandered away. Some of us are hiding away right now. And we're hiding because we think nobody wants us. Most of all, God. If that's who you are, brothers and sisters, listen to the story. Listen to Jesus' words that draw us in, not keep us at arm's length, but draws us in. Listen to the Father's heart that's searching for us before we've even turned back for Him. Listen to the, listen to the Father's heart who leaves no stone unturned seeking you. Perhaps you might be on the other side of that, though. Perhaps you might be where the Pharisees stand. And I'm afraid that for too many of us in the church, we can replace Pharisees with church folk. And maybe it's time for us to hear a corrective note. That for those out in the world around us who aren't living according to our values, for those out in the world around us who, who don't talk like us or, or, or live like us or, or believe like us, perhaps our attitude towards them, our perspective about them, needs to be utterly transformed by the words of these parables. Because if the Father's willing to sacrifice everything to go and find them, then we ought not grumble about it. 
Instead, we ought to be part of the party. We ought to be a part of the celebration, waiting, eager to find joy when folks around us suddenly discover that they have been found. Wherever you are, I want to suggest that all of us, all of us are called into the work of the shepherd. All of us are called into the work of the woman. That there are people in all of our lives who have wandered off. We shouldn't be angry at them. Shouldn't be frustrated with them. We shouldn't be condescending toward them. We should join the work of the shepherd. We should join the work of the woman in finding them and bringing them home working with God to to put them on our shoulders and carry them home to the family of God where celebration awaits. Friends, I believe that's what church is. I believe that's what our church is called to. The question is, where do you find yourself in the story? Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning for these parables that Jesus offers. We're grateful, oh God, for their vision of who you are that you are the loving shepherd, you are the loving woman who seeks until we are found. God, I give you thanks that that you don't count against us whether we wandered away by accident or by intention. That the most important thing about us, O God, isn't why we left, but how you can find us and how much you want us. O God, for those of us who are tempted to join the story of the Pharisees in a transactional vision of of how you work in the world, I pray that you would change our hearts. Help us to see the world around us with your eyes. Help us to love the world around us with your heart. We give you thanks, O God, for the way that you seek us out and bring us home. And we pray all this in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen.